0: Hi, this is Pastor Ricky Temple. I am so happy today to bring you a treat. We went back in our archives and found what we call Pastor Rick Classics. These are a sermon series that we think really speak to the soul. It's a great Bible study, it's a great time to sit back and enjoy God's Word in a very humble, I think honest, and I think real down home way. It just really speaks to the soul from my heart, so sit back and enjoy my humble presentation. I pray it blesses you. It's my effort to give you some of the best from the classic sermons I've preached over the years. Enjoy the sermon series. It's got to be difficult to see a 20-year-old guy who, when he was 17 or so, killed a giant named Goliath. I mean, this this doesn't make any sense. You know, when, 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 when he's anointed to be king privately by Samuel the prophet, it's done when he's a teenager. This is a teenage kid who's being anointed by Samuel the prophet to be king. It's not a very comfortable thing to watch. And so now everybody's talking about it. So watch what happens. Saul, the leader, starts to show signs of jealousy. And it's not a pretty sight. And I thought, I'm so proud that that's not been the case in our ministry. Boy, it's interesting to watch. I can't wait to jump into this. First of all, notice the where it starts in verse 6. It happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines after he killed Goliath, that the women... Had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul and tamar- with tambourines and with joy and with musical instruments. Now, David's probably 17. He's a teenager. He's not 20 yet. He'll be 20 in a few days. I'll share in a few chapters, okay? So he's between these, you know, at teenage years, 17 or so. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his, ho- his what? Thousands. thousands. And David has slain how many? Then Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they, who, who, who did this? They did. They have ascribed to David 10,000, and to me, they have ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can he have but the what? Kingdom. Now, so, they, so Saul, I, David, from that day forward. Now, here's the question. Who wrote the song? The women did. Who heard the song for the first time along with Saul? David. David did. You might know David never corrected the song. Just an observation. Oh, I had nothing to do with it. You know, if that's their opinion, you know, we have to deal with that. And you have to kind of understand that it is people's opinion. It is people's right. When I first started preaching, I remember very distinctly that and I'm only saying this because it's the truth. It's what, it's what happened. I mean, I and I. I used to, um, when I first started preaching, we had, um, I was in a church, Pentecostal church, and, and they had, I, I've told a story how they had rows of chairs for the ministers, and they had two little chairs on the end. And I remember when, uh, when it was about three or four of us that came up at the same time. I was, I was one of the you know, first young guys to come up, and I remember um, when, when I was, um, I was about 17, 17 years old, when I first accepted the call to preach. That's Ricky's age, as a matter of fact, which is interesting. That's like Ricky in a church. It's like this one. I remember when I accepted the call to preach, and I remember uh, he said, the pastor got up and said, from now on, I'm going to call no longer call Ricky Temple Ricky Temple. I'm calling call him Minister Temple from now on, and I want you to respect him with that title and honor him. I'm going to give him a license. He's a minister, and that was it. I mean, I was in the ministry quick. I told him about, oh, gosh, 945. And at 12 o'clock, he announced it.
1: <laughs>
0: I didn't get any chance to like, you know, because we were just talking. He said, so what do you think you're called to? Because I was doing, I, people had asked me to do little Bible studies or something. So I was doing a little Bible studies and I came and told my pastor, you know, I did a couple Bible studies, you know, and they want me to come back and do a revival meeting for one night. I said, well, you know, because it's going to be a bunch of us preaching, and, but I had one night to myself. So I was scared anyway, you know. But then I, I told him, he said, so what, is that, what do you think that means? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go talk. He says, what do you think you're called to preach? I said, well, I wouldn't say that. I said, I'm just gonna go talk. I said, well, maybe maybe it does mean that. Maybe kind of. Good, praise God, that was it. That's all he needed. He got up that morning, he said, stop, no longer, see? And he said, come up here. And I remember thinking, hope, hope you don't put me in a little chair. So not just don't put me in the little chair, man. You know. <laughs> so anyway, when I started preaching, I remember there was pressure. You know, there, there was you know there was there was that you know, man. You know, and then he gave me a key to the church. Then he told me you know, and they had Friday nights It was wide open. So Friday night, he put me in charge of the pulpit. Even he started putting me in charge of stuff. You know, he says you know you're pretty organized, young guy. You're in charge of the schedule for the pulpit for the month. So I'd schedule who's gonna do the worship and I'd open the church and close the church and started, you know, I started having all this responsibility. I'm about 18 now. I'm 18, 19, Miss Temple, hey. And then they started having these little sermonette things, you know, where you'd get up and you'd preach. And 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 they would, and I would always, I remember, I told you, I've told the story before. They would always, they had have these little things where you would preach for three minutes. And you, I mean, we're talking about. That's why, see, I learned to do the practical chats. <laughs> I'm serious. That's where I learned to do the practical chats. I learned to get a lot in real quick. Get in and out, boy, because you, you don't have time. And you never know what God's training you for. Come on, say it, man. Are you hearing me? And so I'm sitting there, right? And, 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 and whenever they call me, I get up. This is okay, we're going to have a sermonette now by Minister Temple before the main message. So I get up, and I say, all right, praise God. They're not going to dung me. They had a little bell. And they had a guy sitting there timing you, man. I mean, he was like, you know, all right. And I watched so many people get donged, and then they would pull your coattail if you went too long. And I vowed. I said, they will never ding-dong me. I will not be caught over time. Brother, I got up took my watch off, laid my watch down. I said, today i want to talk about love, what the Bible says about love. There are four things the Bible says about love. Number one, if you love people, and I went through whatever I was going to say, and you know what? They liked me because I would always finish on time and I'd always choose my famous four or five things I want to say. And then I did that so well. And all the other guys would get dogged and bonged and pulled and yanked, but I was the only guy that wasn't. So I kept up with the pulpit schedule. I opened the church on time, and guess what happened? More opportunity came my way. Before you know it, we had these meetings called district meetings. And I would come out to the district meeting, and then I would, I would, I would get a chance. They would say, well, we're gonna let Minister Temple speak at the district meeting. And there'd be all the churches from all over Southern California. They would be there, and all from no, up north, and, and they would be there, and they'd say, want well, a minute, so I'd get up and I'd do my three minutes. And I never failed, man. I was like a clock boy. They never donged Ricky Temple. Man, I was there. And I remember guys, it was horrible. I'd sit there go, oh, man. I mean, they would get donged. And then many of them, they had to go pull their coattail. And the guy would be,
1: oh,
0: and he'd be pulling his coat. You know? I said, never. And so you know what? They liked me. So they gave me six minutes. And then they started getting everybody else three minutes. And the guy started noticing. I
1: gave me 10 six minutes.
0: And we getting three. Because I would finish. Then they gave me 10 minutes. I was cooking. 10 minutes. Never got done. I was the champion of not being done.
1: <laughs>
0: Are you there with me tonight? <laughs> then finally, one night, we were there and they said, they looked out, and I'll never forget it. i said sitting on the old pulpit, and it must have been 12 ministers on the pulpit. We had a big pulpit, a lot of preachers. And they looked down the road, and they said, who's preaching tonight? They used to decide on the spot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This is true. And they looked down the road. They said, tell of Temple, he's going to preach the main message tonight. <laughs> he got three minutes to get ready. Have mercy.
1: <laughs>
0: I had to preach for 30 minutes, and I had no notice. But I was ready. I had a sermon in my Bible. I was ready. I didn't know when they would call, but I was going to be ready. Come on, say amen. I was going to be ready. And I tell you what, and they told me, I prayed and I got up and I said, the same God who called me will be the same God who will go with me. I did. And I preached. And I, I finished in about oh, 25 minutes. They gave me 30, but I finished about 25. They love me. They said, boy, that boy knows how to get in and out, don't
1: they? And
0: they taught me how to do it, so I did it like they taught me. They say you start slow when you work your way high. You start down low when you build your points and you make everything clear. And when you make everything clear, then you get to the end and you begin to raise the tone a little bit. And you got to learn how to moan and raise your voice. Can you say, yeah, yes. Whew. Man. And our boy, I'd preach and yell and holler and all that. And they Oh, he's fiery. So y'all think I'm dead now, but I had some fire. And I got more revival offers. I was preaching all up and down North Carolina, all up and down the coast, all in Florida. Yes, I was at 19 years old.
1: <laughs>
0: anyway. It's as if God sovereignly gave me opportunity. And you know what's interesting? I lost friends because I became, to my utter surprise, a threat. Why he got a key. He got a key to the church. How come he get to preach alone? Then they start asking me to preach in some of the some of the services, some of the main conventions. Here he is, 18, 19 years old. Three nights, two nights. That was something to be 19 years old, 20 years old. And I felt like I was on the road somewhere. Hey! But you know what's interesting? People change when God blesses you. Saul did not have the spirit of a mentor. He was jealous because someone under him was advancing. He felt that if, if the people elevated David, they were lowering him. He felt David could replace him. He felt David had to be eliminated for him to survive. Look at verse 10, watch what he does. It happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, which means I told you he was a man who was not communing with God, and, and saw, Samuel is just describing what he saw. He says it's as if the presence of God wasn't with him anymore, and now there's an evil spirit, some kind of other spirit. And he, 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 he just says it's like God sent some evil spirit upon him. It wasn't that God did that, but Samuel in his own understanding of God was trying to describe what he saw. So he called it an evil spirit from God, but it wasn't an evil spirit from God in the sense that God was, had put an evil spirit on Saul. God's presence had left Saul, and Saul had yielded himself to an evil spirit. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? Look at verse 10. It happened on the next day that the, the distressing spirit or evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as it up at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. Now understand that Saul is spe- prophesying Doesn't mean you're speaking under, under the inspiration of God It means you're saying things Your pro- pro- prophesy means to proclaim So he's, the spirit comes on him And he starts shouting out all these things I don't know what he, what he was saying But he was yelling out something And verse 11 says Saul cast a spear For he said I will pin David to the what? Wall, Wall. But David escaped his presence How many times? Some of you say after the first time He wouldn't see me no more <laughs> but I want you to notice something. Look at verse 12. Watch what the Bible says happened. It's a very interesting statement. It says that David, I'm sorry, Saul was what? Afraid. See, da- see, jealousy will make you afraid of people. Afraid that if they are advanced, you lose something. And so you become insecure. That's the one thing I've worked hard at not being. Insecure about people leaving, about members moving on, about people moving on to better jobs. And if you love people, you want to release them. But here you have a man who was afraid of a young man who never said a cross word about it, not one time. This is all assumption. say that word assumption. My wife has a saying, assumption is a terrible thing. (laughs) Assumption is a terrible thing. How many times have you been mad with your mate and they never said anything? I can tell he don't love me. How you know? Well, I can just tell. I can feel it. Did you ask him? Yeah, he said he loved me. Is he still with you? Yes. Does he say nice things to you? Yes, but I can tell something different. How do you know? Assumption. Have you ever been mad with somebody and thought they said something they didn't say? Our teenagers are masters at this. They have a PhD in assumptions. They assume everything. Oh, she don't like me. Oh, he don't like me. They can be dating a boy, a young man, a young woman. Oh, they want somebody else. And they, they assume everything. Some of us have wrecked good friendships and relationships on the basis of assumption. I've been mad with Diane assuming I know what she's thinking. The Lord just recently delivered (laughs) me. You always get delivered from it. Can anybody say amen to that? Come on. Mad with your child about something you don't know anything about? Teacher calling you, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. I don't know what the teacher calling me about. Hi, what's up? Oh, you want a donation to the old PTA? Assumption. Now watch this. Verse verse, uh, 16. He's afraid of David, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Everybody else loved him, but he was afraid of him. Look at verse 29. Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy how often? Verse 29, are you with me? Chapter 18. Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy how often? Continually. Can you imagine that? Continually, he's sitting there waiting for an opportunity to harm David. Now, watch what he does. This is where the soap opera kicks in. Look at verse 17. Now, this is unbelievable. Now, what I want to get you into the, is the mind of a jealous person. They try to do things to harm you. They they want you. They want to set you up to fail. Watch this. Verse six. Verse 17. Saul said to David, here is my old, older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. Notice he used the Lord's name. For Saul thought, this is what Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So what is he doing? He says, son, I want you to go down there and fight the Philistines. He hopes they kill him. Why? Because he doesn't want to be guilty of it. He wants somebody else to do it. Well, look at verse 25. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry but 104 skins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. David, go down there. And kill. Give me 200 scalps, Philistine. Kill me 200 Philistines. He's trying to get him killed. He's trying to set him up to fail. And then he publicly embarrasses him with two simple things. And these are so amazing. Go back to verse 17 with me. Watch what happens. Look at verse 18, I'm sorry. Now, when he first comes to to, to, um, David and says to David, I want you to be my son-in-law, you got to understand, David's response is this, who am I and what is my life? or my father's family in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king. But see, but it happened. Now now David's excited and honored by this in verse 18. So of course everybody knows, you know, he's going to be married the, the, you know, the king's daughter. And now look what happens in verse 19. But it happened at the time when Marib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, you know, wedding day, or around the time they're supposed to be married that she was given to Adriel, the mahalothite, as a wife. He gives it to somebody else. We're talking about humiliating a man here. Then watch this, it gets better. He says, now, Mikal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, hey, you know your other daughter? She really likes David, she got to thanks for David. And the thing pleased him, look why. Saul said, yeah, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him. She's sickening. <laughs> I know what I'll do. I'm going to give him a cow. You can have her. Yeah, boy, she can do it with you. Now, this is you know who she is? She's the one who when, when, when Davis dancing, clothes fall off, she says, what are you doing and embarrass yourself in front of the people of God? She's got spirit, but she's a good woman. She's not all bad. But in Saul's mind, I'm going to give you this rotten woman, give you my rough daughter. See, jealousy forces him to break promises, and then he's trying to subtly hurt David. Now, generally, when jealousy starts, it starts off my, in minor ways. You know, you can't really see it. It's subtle. It's undercover. And there's a lot of ways it's manifested. It's manifested in marriages, you know, because a woman makes more money than the man. The man starts, you know, saying little subtle things. So you think you all that, not because you're making all this money. You know what I'm saying? You think I ain't a man. See, that's jealousy. I wouldn't care. Well, see, I'm a man. I got to have my... What you call for? What? Jealous of what? See, you understand something. Jealousy only hurts you and the person you love. It makes you look bad. How do you think Saul looked in the eyes of his people? They knew he was wrong. And so you got to understand, jealousy always escalates. Say that with me, please. Jealousy always escalates. It escalates. There are people right now who are divorced solely because their mate was jealous of their success. Jealous because they were making more money. Jealous because they were they were more educated or had more, uh, because they kept a clean house. Je- people, jealousy escalates. Some of you right now, you're only jealous of your sister because she kept her hair better than you. You know, people get mad. I used to be, man, I, let me tell you something. God has really done a work in my heart because um, I was nowhere nearly as neat neat a person as I am. Now, I'm a lot neater than I was. Even when we got married, I think that I'm a little lot neater than I was. And I used to go to people's houses, now their houses neat. I used to get mad. Trying to show off here. You know, have something out of place.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, everything just, just in line. I remember we first got a housekeeper, and she, you know, a lady who keeps, man, she's, man, that lady, whew, Man, she, she leave your house. You say, who was in here? And when she first started coming to my house, she cleaned it one time. After that, I started trying to clean it before she came. <laughs> let her find my stuff out of place. <laughs> I ain't going to let her come in the back of my dresser. I'll be shit die with laugh. What you doing? I said, oh, she coming? I got to get it right. <laughs> I don't want to mess with my stuff. You know. And, you know, it took me a while to go, let, let her, you know, it's okay. I did my grass. It was good. But then when I got a lawn man, I knew I had to step back. I said, man, it's a difference. You've got to learn how to not be jealous. When I see my wife get up and minister, go forth, there are a lot of reasons why men won't let women minister because they're jealous. It's jealous. Why would God be against women preaching? I tell guys all the time let the women not give. Won't be no church. (laughs) All your theology about women in the ministry, there's no way to fix that. Pay for it all yourself, brother. Hallelujah. Tell them to be quiet in the church and keep their money in their pocket. brother. See, men can have a very arrogant attitude if they're not careful based on strength and advantage. But in reality, we all need each other. God does not look at men as though we're better than women or reverse. I just believe the role of man is to be. I understand all that. I, I'm a leader. I don't have any problem with that. I, but I think that, that God said on your sons and on your what? Daughters. I'm going to do what? Pour out my spirit in those days. God's not against women. A lot of it is. A lot of it is. A lot, why would God? What is it that is inherently wrong with the woman's psyche that she can't lead? Is they're too emotional. Really? Why do more men beat their wives then? What is that about? That's pretty emotional, beating somebody into a pulp. See, I don't think that, I think there are unique differences between us that make it difficult, where they have to handle the children. I don't feel that's biblical either. ain't no way in the Bible. I had those children too. I know, I'm just saying, I don't see. See, a lot of things are assumed, but I think the root of a lot of it is just a lack of willingness, because I saw it in myself. I, I, You know, when you see her up doing something, you, you know, think, well, is she taking over? Got to make sure she knows she ain't take over. If she's assertive, she'd always tell me, say, if I'm assertive, then I'm not being, I'm, I'm, not being, I'm being sassy. You know, a, a assertive woman can you know, that ain't godly. Assertive man, that's godly. I mean, I, I think God makes people different, men and women. Come on, say man if you're hearing me. See, you got to be careful that what your attitude is towards a person or, or a gender is not jealousy. You got to be careful when you start talking about even ethnic issues that you're not talking from a jealous position. That this is that you're not being unfair in your criticism because you don't have advantage. You got to be careful. See, you got to be careful that some of your criticisms are not unfair. I, I, I don't want to go too far down that road, but I'm going to tell you right now, I think a lot of things have a root in jealousy more than they do in other things. Why is Saul mad? Why is Saul mad? Why, question, is Saul mad with this boy? There's no justifiable reason for Saul to be mad with this specific young man. He has done nothing to him. See? See? What gets you in trouble is when you start focusing in your energies, negative energies, on people. And if you're not careful, what really could be the problem is that you are jealous and you can't, you can't handle somebody rising above you. That's what kills churches. Pastors can't handle somebody rising above them. Rise above me. Tell your neighbor, say, rise above it. Come on, tell your neighbor, say, rise above him. I don't care. Don't make me not. As long as I can take care of myself, feed my family, and and, and and do what God's called me to do, you can go and become Billy Graham Jr. Doesn't bother me. Aren't you going to feel like a failure? Why? Did I do what God called me to do? That's all that matters. Say amen if you're hearing me, church. I don't have to compete with you. See? So I should have said, thank God, David. David's my friend. I helped mentor him. I've been there. Instead of being that way, he's not. So he doesn't get a handle on jealousy, and it escalates. And it does that. Some of you are jealous of your children. You're jealous, you're jealous of your children. They're smarter than you were. Thank you, thank you, all that. Sometimes you beat them because you're jealous. <laughs> it's the truth. Think you smart? You ain't that smart? I'll beat you. I can still beat you. i put you out. Where you going to be this? Jealous. I made a promise to, my, to God. You know what I said? When my son goes out and he makes money, if he makes a fraction of what I make, when he calls me and says, Dad, I got to raise, I'm going to say, man, that's great. Man, that's great. How much are you making now? Praise God. I refuse to say, I made that 15 years ago. Got to do better than that boy, catch up with your papa. I refuse to do that. I refuse. That's jealousy. David was achieving and Saul couldn't celebrate. It is why the body of Christ is starving for young leaders because men cannot share the glory. They can't. But if you don't deal with jealousy, it escalates. Watch what happened in chapter 19. The soap opera gets worse. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, to all his servants that they should kill David. He puts a contract out on David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. Skip down to verse four. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he has not sinned against you. He hasn't done anything. And because his works have been very good towards you. For he has, look, for he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? his own son talking to him. There's a time when you've got to confront jealous people. There's a time you've got to arrest it and say, look, you know, this isn't right. This is not fair. Now watch what happens. It's interesting. The Bible says in verse 6, and I want you to underline this because this is important because it's going to happen again two more times. He's going to repent. Watch what happens now. Skip down with me. So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be what? Killed. So he's pretty excited. You know what? We're not going to kill that boy now. You know what? You're right. That is not right. That boy hadn't done anything. Let's not let's not kill him. He, He has not done a thing worth killing anybody for. So he says we won't kill him. He repents in verse six and then watch verse 8 and there was war again and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck no, no, no go down to verse 7, then Jonathan called David and Jonathan told him all the things, these things so Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as in times past so now everything is back to the way it was, you ever had one of those times where things are bad then they get better, right? watch verse 8 then there was a war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. God anoints this 20-year-old boy, 20-year-old young man. Verse 9, and then the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and, he, and David was playing music with his hands. And then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall, so David fled and escaped that night. Now, why does Saul backslide? Because again, David's shining. He never dealt with the root of the problem. He went through the motions, but he never changed. A lot of people do that. They go through the motions, but they never change. They never grow out of certain attitudes. So it's still there. Now, watch what happens in verse 11. Note, note his wife, this is David's wife, protects him by claiming he was sick. Now, this is so, what I want you to do is get into the mind of a jealous person. Watch how far he goes. It starts out with threats. It starts out with a little throwing of a javelin. And now it's escalated to an to a all-out contract on the man. Kill him. I want, I want all of you to go find David and kill him for me. Then Jonathan stands up and says, it's not right. He repents. Then David rises again, does something else great. And what happens? The root of that bitterness that was not dealt with rises again. That's why some of you are in and out of strife all the time. The root hadn't been dealt with. He He didn't really have a change of attitude. He still struggled with David's success. Now watch verse 11. Saul also sent messages to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. Now remember, that this is Saul's daughter trying to help David, the one he gave to David to be a hindrance to him. Are you there? Isn't it amazing how when men work against you, God will work for you? So Mikhail David let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Mikhail told took an image and laid it in the bed and put a cover of goat's hair his head and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Watch this. Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him while he's sick. <laughs> take him out that bed. I'm going to kill him anyway. If he's sick, it won't matter. <laughs>
1: he's going to be
0: dead. Now, Watch this now. She lies. He comes in, finds out David's gone. And Saul said to Mikhail, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Mikhail answered David, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Oh, David's going to kill me. I had to let him go. People lie when they're under pressure, you know. She made, she made him a quick story. Oh, you know how strong David is. He's going to kill me. So I let him go. Now, watch this, verse 18. So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in in Naoth. And I want to read this. This is, again, I'm going to read this because I think you need to see this. Watch what happens. It was told Saul, saying, take note, David is in Naoth at Ramah. Now, he's with the prophet Samuel. Does he have any concerns? No. No. Watch what happened. Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they started prophesying. <laughs> they came to kill David. They came to get him, and they, they came, and the Spirit of God would come on them, and, oh, no, thus no, no, saith the Lord. They start prophesying. So look at verse 21. When Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messages again the third time, and they did what? Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great wall that is in Sukkot, and he asked and said, "Where are Samuel and David?" And someone said, "Indeed, they are in naoth and Ramah." He yes, he said, "I'm going. Tired of all this prophesying stuff. I'm trying to kill this old crazy boy." And watch what happens. So when there, so he went, verse twenty-three, there to naoth and Ramah. The spirit of God was upon him also, and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah, <laughs> and he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and lay down naked all that day and all that night. God made him take his clothes off, <laughs> lay down there naked, prophesying. And then they said, I wonder if Saul now among the prophets. (laughs) See, you know, it's embarrassing to see the king down there naked. I mean stripped naked, nothing on prophesying, laying there in front of Samuel the prophet. Now, if this was a man with some sense, that would have made a difference in his life, don't you think? Here's what you learn from that. Great spiritual experiences don't change everybody. Just because you have a great move of God, great falling out in the spirit, it doesn't change everybody. Some people will get right up and still have that jealousy all wrapped around their heart. This is a bound man. If you want to know why God said he's not going to be king anymore, look at this story. Look at how deep it is. The question is, how deep is it in your heart? How many prayer meetings have you gone to? How many services have you had? How many verses have you quoted? How many times have you repented like Saul and then went back to your old way? You hate him just as much as you always hated your ex hood. You hate him. You hate him. You hate him. You hate him. You hate her so bad you can't understand. Her. She come by you want to spit. Pound in your soul. Did you wrong? Cheated on you? That dog. You tell everybody you can. All this. Anybody? You want everybody to know? Rat, right. think. Yeah, you prayed. Thought you would deliver, but it's still there, seething. All for nothing. Oh no, Pastor. Mine's for something. Whatever they did to you, doesn't compare what you did to Christ. You crucified Him. It was for your sin he died on the cross. You don't have any issue as great as Christ's issue with you. That's why I refuse to be jealous. I refuse. I don't have a thing in my heart against any member of this church. Not one. I can't think of anybody I'm happy with. Anybody I've been angry with, I've talked to. I'm current today. If I have an issue with the group, I talk. with, I acquire, I tell you, I come in. Let's talk. So everybody will know how I feel. We're all in love with each other. My staff, they tell you, he called me. He'll block off the whole day. I don't have any issues. Because I know what that'll do to you. It grows. Some of you right now, see, God's talking to you because it's growing. You haven't put a contract down on him yet. But it's growing. And you know what i saying? It's growing in you and spreading to your children. Oh, you think your disease doesn't spread? Oh, sure it does. It bites and spreads. They learn not to forgive. They learn not to move on. Ah, chapter 20. Watch, watch with me David's response. David fled from Naop to Ramah and he went and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Please note, David learns a painful lesson. Sometimes people hate you for things that don't make sense to you. Do you know one thing that I hear all the time that amazes me personally? People often come up to me and apologize for not liking me in the past. Now, I get that uh, a couple times a month maybe. Sometimes. But it depends. If I'm hot, I may get it three times. (laughs) You know, essentially, I always say the first thing that hits me is I don't know you.
1: <laughs>
0: but my first opinion. I, I mean, television creates and notoriety creates a mythological relationship with you and people. What do you think about that Temple guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think about him? He doesn't know you. Ricky Temple has learned that there are people that are going to have issues with him that he doesn't even know. I will never forget walking into a store and, and it, was, it was I was picking up supplies for the church and it was about fifteen guys back in the supply room and they walked up to me, saying hi to me and they, they listened to the show or whatever and I, and and one guy walked up and he got real close to me, you know it was really funny you know it's kind of like you know and it was one of those moments where you know was, I guess now can I get this up Lord please Jesus the <laughs> devil is back
1: <laughs> thank
0: you. Anyway, you had to be your sunday to see it wouldn't come up. <laughs> but he came about this close to me. And he looked at me and he said, he said, uh, I watch your show, but I turn it off every time it comes off.
1: <laughs>
0: and he stood at me just like he did. He did just like this. I said, good. It's America, my brother. So how y'all doing? Have a great day, brother. No big deal. Maybe if you was on, I'd turn you off. People like grits. People like chicken. People like whatever. You know, we played it off and laughed, but it was like, you know, so what am I going to do, sweat over this? (laughs) Shall we lose sleep and die here? (laughs) See, understand me. Sometimes people have issues with you you don't even know. They're mad because your hair's combed. (laughs) They gotta come here with a hair a different style every day, trying to show off. Just comb your own hair. (laughs) Oh, people are jealous of you for reasons that make no sense. But you know what I've learned? Sometimes it's because they're not at that level, and it bothers them. See, jealousy, David had accomplished some things Saul never had accomplished. He had, David had achieved a level of respect that Saul had never accomplished. And that's why people talked about it. Because they had never accomplished that. It takes great maturity to interact with people who've accomplished more than you. Do you, you want to know one, give you a little insight? One of the reasons why... I have noticed that I have had an ability to cross over and relate to more and more people, some who do have, who do, millionaires, they have way more than I do. I'm not jealous because they do. It doesn't bother me. If you really want to be blessed, let me tell you something. Get over what other people have. Let them have it. Stop being frustrated by what somebody else has. See, that's why God can't oftentimes advance the work of God because we can't get over what other people have. It bothers you that your friend got married before you. It bothers you that they drive a nicer car. It bothers you that they got the better job. It bothers you. And see, as long as you have that mindset, God can't bless you. It bothers you. You have to learn to rejoice with people who are blessed. It's when you get to that level. It's going to help your marriage, your family relationships. It's going. To, haven't you noticed in a family setting when you go to family reunions, what what happens? Who, who are the big dogs? <coughs> people with the money, right? People driving in the big car. People, you know what I'm saying? They are either they're looked down upon because of their success. People have to learn to say, man, let me tell you, if God were to bless some of you in here and you just became instant millionaires. I would be so happy for you, and guess what? I wouldn't want any of your money. I have rich friends, and I never have asked them for money. Once in my life, as a teen, I remember, it was a guy I knew was wealthy, and he gave me a couple hundred bucks or something. But I learned something. I learned that wealthy people are nervous because of jealousy. Some of you will never get to where God wants you to be because you have. And I've had to I've had to repent, uh, repent in my own spirit. I've had to repent when guys ministries go faster than mine or when they have more than me or when things start happening for them better than. And you you can tend to no matter where you are. Trust me, no matter where you are, you got one elevator in your house. Somebody else got four. You hear what I'm saying? See, you, you fly in first class. They got a jet. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? No matter matter what you have, somebody else has more than you. And so jealousy can rise no matter where you are. He was the king, and he's jealous of a little boy named David, a 20-year-old. What's he doing? David, see, but that's how jealousy works. Jealousy says, I want everything. I want all the glory, all the attention, all the praise. I want everything. I don't want anybody to have more than me. As long as that's in your spirit, You're never, ever, ever going to be free. Now, I want you to watch something that I think is, and I'm closing with this. I I think this is such an important place to come. Jonathan starts making all these promises, verse 2. Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Now, watch this now. He's trying to encourage David, right? Watch verse 3. Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death." Please note with me, Jonathan, the real world is, your dad's not going to tell you when he's trying to kill me. You know what David's doing? He's facing the truth about his relationship. He's facing the facts about his circumstances. He understands that this is a jealous person, and if I'm not careful, they'll hurt me, and I need to pay attention. And he begins to say, I need to to take some kind of precautions. I need to make sure that I'm not exposing myself to risk because this guy is going to hurt me. You know, in life, you've got to come to a place where you face the truth about things. You've got to learn and say, this makes sense. People ask me, say, why don't you have police officers? Why don't you have security? Because I'm smart. Oh, every criminal who comes around here to be aware. Not only will we have you locked up, we got them real close. And I will sign on the dotted line. <coughs> the truth. How, how good are you handling the truth about people's opinion of you? I can handle it. I know people don't like me, and I don't deal with them either. I look, I pay attention. This boy's smart. He said, hey, this man does not like me. Some of you, you home, and, and man, he, he look, he, he got a gun, and he walking around with a gun. Tell you, he's going to kill <laughs> Thank you all that, huh? Thank you something. I got something for you. That's, uh, that's all Diane got to do one time. Diane don't have to even put it in her pocket. Diane... <laughs> <laughs> She just has to go threaten to get it. I'm gonna buy a gun. That's it. I don't need no more advice. I believe you. You tell me you gonna hurt me. I believe you. I don't. I don't. I don't go to fights. I don't come to your house. Don't call me. I ain't
1: coming.
0: No. A lot of dead folks today, huh? Because they didn't believe. I'm a believer. Some of you know people, if you know somebody got a life for you, don't be dumb, don't be crazy. Come over to my house, let's make up. Nah, we can make up over the phone.
1: <laughs>
0: you can say it already. <laughs> I believe you. Oh, praise the Lord, amen. I think I'm a, you going home one eye closed? One lip big? And he said, come over, let's talk about it. Oh, no. Not without four police officers <laughs> and a camera. <laughs> We ain't coming back till we get you straight. Because see, that jealousy, if it's not rooted out of your spirit, there are a lot of dead women today, a lot of dead folks today who didn't listen. Come on, say amen if you're hearing me. A lot of folks don't pay attention. You People will harm you. You're on the job, and they're always threatening to fire you. Better start looking. Get rid of you. You know, I don't like you in the first place. I don't like it. If that's the case, praise God. You ain't got to tell me. Praise the Lord. No problem. I believe you. You look at me funny right here, them security people looking at you. Come on, say man, if you hear me. They, that's right, they looking. And I, they, and there are things that have happened, so I praise the Lord. And I believe you. That's right. And don't, 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 they throw you down, something happens, well, praise God, you shouldn't have run over here like that. I know you ain't crazy. Come on, say man, if you hear me. See, David was smart. David said, oh, I ain't taking no chances. Are you with me, church? Some of you need to get wise up here. Some of you need to wise up, lock your doors, pay attention. David was a smart man. He said, "I'm dealing with a fool, and I need to act like I'm dealing with a fool." Come on, say amen. Some of you got some crazy brothers and sisters. You know to just be wise. I'm not saying don't love them, don't be, don't be supportive. I'm not saying don't embrace them. I'm not saying I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying any of that. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? Love them and support them and, and do the best you can, but don't be foolish. I like that point, and that's why I'm going to stop, right here. David was smart. David said, "I'm not going to be crazy." David said, "You may, love your daddy may love you and all that, but your daddy will not tell you when he's about to kill me because he knows you're my best friend, and I'm not going to go out here with you." to your daddy, let your daddy kill me because you have great faith in your dad's ability to tell you everything. Forget it. David told Jonathan, forget it. Wise up. Face the truth. Tell your neighbor, say, face the truth. Come on. When you face the truth, you'll be all right. Well, this is Pastor Ricky. I hope you have enjoyed the study. I really love these studies. It takes me back in time and shows me things that I'd forgotten. May these studies continue to bless you and I pray they stay in a classic place in your heart and mind. God bless you. This is Pastor Rick. Thank you for joining me for another classic study with Pastor Rick.